Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10:50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California, and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good afternoon, everybody across the country. Welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the host of the Water Zone. So everybody's hoping you have a good uh, week coming up, and end of the week actually. And we got a lot of things going. Chris, you want to update on what's happening around uh, the country? Oh man, an exciting weekend coming up for sure. Of course, this weekend, uh, Saturday, the uh, November 13th, is the induction of California. You and I both will be there, Rob, and it'll be. Exciting to see that. Again, in the second year in a row, it's going to be taped for television and broadcast on ThinkStream with Nick Federoff uh, at a later date, date to be followed. And not only that, on Sunday, there's another event, Rob, and I know that you're well in tune with that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know if you hear it, but let me say that I, I hear a big echo. So if somebody's got their radio background now, they need to turn it down uh, so we don't get the echo flashback here. Anyway, yes, we have the Island Foundation uh, fundraiser of the year. Uh, it's an auction. It uh, starts off actually with a, a well-watching boat uh, ride, and then uh, it's back in Laguna Beach, and uh, there's going to be about 350 people at this event. They also have an auction on all of Wyland's products uh, and artwork that's going to be there, so it's a good event, and we're looking excited. But go back to your Green Industry Hall of Fame, as we've mentioned the last couple of weeks. One of our, our uh, people who are special to us on the water zone Miss um, Chris Austin, she's going to be inducted into that this weekend. So we'll that. And we also have somebody else uh, who's going to be inducted into the uh, Green Industry Hall of Fame. So why don't we why don't we go to that thing because that's an important person that we need to talk to. So uh, let's hear from our next guest, Daryl Green. Have some technical difficulties. All right, listeners, welcome back to the Water Zone Radio Show. We got another great show tonight. We have the owner of Green Product Sales, also known as GPS. They're a manufacturing rep firm founded in 2005. Uh, the gentleman's name is Daryl Green. Before I bring him on, let me just say a couple of things about him. Like many of us in this industry, Daryl started out on the quote unquote business end of the shovel, right? Working for a landscaping. Uh, company. He's got a ton of industry expertise, uh, again, working for landscape companies and also in distribution. So there's a lot of questions we have for him, and he's going to tell us a few good stories tonight. So let's welcome to the Water Zone, Daryl Green. How are you tonight? Very good. Thanks to be on with you guys, Chris, Rob. Absolutely. Great to have you here as well. So, Rob, you want to shoot with the first question? Absolutely. Good evening, Daryl. Thanks for joining us on the Water Zone. So, what was it that drew you into the horticulture classes and thinking about horticulture at the age, young age of 16? Well, what was interesting was um, we, I, I went to high school in Huntington Beach, and we had a, an instructor who, uh, a gentleman named Dave Okura, who some people may know in, 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 the, in Orange County. And Dave um, was teaching classes at high school there, and, and other people, my brothers had taken classes there. And so I had a chance to take it as an elective, and I, I decided that would be a good opportunity to kind of learn a little bit and, and use that as one of my elective opportunities. What was interesting about that was 
the focus that Dave had was aside from, you know, general planting, um, gardening type type skill sets was grafting. He was really big in grafting and was, is, it was known in Orange County as a, as a good grafter. And uh, so I kind of had an opportunity to learn a little bit about grafting. Unfortunately, I've, I've used none of it since that point, but uh, it was really, really just to get an opportunity to work outside. And, and that was my first kind of step into the landscape business. I, you know, I think that's a story that uh, that's been echoed by several of us in the industry over the years. So I'm going to tell our audience right off the bat here, Daryl, that uh, you're our guest tonight, particularly in honor of an upcoming award you're about to receive from the Green Industry Hall of Fame. That'll be this weekend. So Rob and I will be there uh, as well, and we'll we'll be talking to some folks. We've also got a nominee at that event coming up. Um, so a lot of stuff has happened to get you to the point where uh, you were nominated for this award and of course now being uh, inducted this weekend. So uh, let's start off at the beginning a little bit, if you don't mind you. So you started a landscape business while you were at Orange Community College. And I guess probably because you believed that there was lots of money to be made and that you were gonna be you know, living on an island in Aruba with a drink in your hand and your toes in the, <laughs> in the sand, so to speak. But I think a lot of it was driven by you know a desire to work and just, working outdoors as you said so did i kind of have most of that story right well i sort of i, I don't know about the money thing i i didn't never really thought much about where the future was going to go in that sense but um i, I was actually doing construction after right after high school right at my just as i graduated and i went into construction with a friend and i was joicing up in the second floor uh first day and i and i realized that uh, after about two weeks of that um, I would probably fall off and die off a two-story building, and so I decided uh, that was my calling. And so a friend of mine who had joined me at the time, we both decided that uh, we weren't going to go back to that, and so I had to uh, fall back on something else and quickly turned into doing uh, maintenance opportunities, mowing about 50 lawns a week uh, at, at kind of a peak and uh, opportunity to you know, put some money away. At that point, I was going to Orange Coast College. I had some exceptional instructors and John Lanatt and, and uh, John Parker and, and some others who really taught uh, some of the best teachers I've ever had in terms of plant material ID and, and design and some other things that, uh, that they taught at Orange Coast. So it was a great stepping stone to go there for three years. At the same time, you know, have my business to work around school, um, ultimately propelling me on to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, ironically, I actually got accepted to both uh, both Cal Polys and took a trip up to San Luis. And a friend of mine who I'd went to school with at Orange Coast was going up there and, and stayed with him one day and with my partner for my business and uh, decided, I guess I'm going to Cal Poly San Luis. And that was it. So I, uh, I kept we kept the business for another couple of years. My, my partner maintained it. I was able to actually gain income from from that while going to college. So it really served a great purpose well into my college period up at the Cal Poly. And then um, the rest was uh, just continuing my education there at Cal Poly. Great. Oh, I know you've had the opportunity to work at a really nice place at Cota de Casa in California, which has really nice homes in, in Southern, uh, Southern California. So, and you were in charge of uh, managing the irrigation. So. When you first got into working on a, a MaxiCon system, which is a, a, a rainbird system, uh, did that spark your interest into water efficiency, learning more about how that system can do things? 
Um, I, I wouldn't say that so much. I think prior to that, I had, I had after I left college, I went to work for Roger Fisk, who was another inductee in the Hall of Fame, as was Alan Sheraton. So I went to work for them, and uh, in working in maintenance, I was managing a lot of water at the time, and so I was building up my skill sets on projects, uh, similar projects, and with a lot of slopes, a lot of landscape, very typical of this area. And so, uh, op- obviously, an opportunity came up with a central control system that that hadn't existed prior to that point in time. There was only, I want to say, less than 10 systems uh, or so in the country. And so, really, it was really that opportunity to, to jump into something that was very high tech, very unique. Um, not something that many people had an opportunity to do. So I actually, I got the job and uh, did that for about three years, had had tremendous success and really learned what water management was all about, which in, in many people's eyes is very different than the way I saw it and the way I still see it today. And, the, and it was interesting, somebody who was speaking at one of the trade shows once said, do what the plants tell you. And, and from that point on, I still use that to the, today. I think it's one of the best things I could have ever learned was managing water based on what the plants were telling you they needed and not just watering off of, uh, you know, a, a mechanical view and, and just turning water on and off at, at certain amounts of time or, or even using ET um, just on its own, taking advantage of, of ET and evapotranspiration and using that concept that was now applied with a weather station that I had to use, but then to take that and and use my brain to try to modify uh, how I looked at water management. And uh, by the time I was sort of done with that project after three years, uh, we had fabulous success. It was just, it was one of the, one of the fun jobs I've ever had in terms of of just being able to, to, to learn more than I could have ever thought I would have learned just just from the ability of, and on a mass scale too, with with you know a hundred with hundred controllers and you know a couple hundred acres of landscape to to manage, and then understanding how to make it as efficient as possible because I had a job to do, which was to solely manage water, which ultimately propelled into everything else in the community that I managed contractors, you know roads, fencing, and so on and so forth. But but a great place to do it, and and really cut my teeth on water management. You know, I'll tell you, Daryl, everything you're saying is right on the money. I can't tell you how many people that Ron and I have had on the show that have <clears throat> come on the show and discussed, you know, smart stuff and controllers and this and that. And all of them have said in the, in the end, they all say, you know, but nothing takes the place of what your eyeballs will tell you when you look at the landscape. Right. So, I mean, it's it's Correct. It's, Correct. Yeah, it's just at the end of the day, uh, you know, that's that's the uh, that's the real marker. That's the real telltale right there. It- if I could add something to that, yeah, one sure. thing that was interesting about this project was is we had Toro uh, XP uh, rotors, stream rotors, and, um, and stream rotors throughout the project is what was designed on the project. And and what's unique about that head was, you know, as the uh, if you remember the the, the gears on those uh, integrated with the oil, and they'd rotate through, and and there was metal plates on the top that that set your degrees of throw. And one of the first things I did was literally go through the entire project and remove the 180 degree nozzle or plates and drop in the 156 degree plates. And that alone, I calculated the amount of water I could save because especially where I was throwing the water up, I was going to get gravitational throw back down. And so 
I, I saw that just by doing that on a mass scale, I could save you know huge amounts of water right off the bat by just simply changing the plate, whether I change the watering time or not. So, yeah. So with with all this experience and all this uh, development early on in your career, is is that kind of where you saw your career going? I mean, did you did you envision that? Did this really follow what your aspirations were, or was it unexpected? Uh, no, I think once Kodo uh, hit and I had an opportunity to do what I was doing there, um, an opportunity propelled me into Pacific Technical Services, which was a sort of high-end value-added company part of Pacific Irrigation. That was started by by Doug, Doug Moore, who was the individual who had created the Strongbox enclosures, stainless steel enclosures, and he had, he had been running that division, and then he broke off and focused on, on Strongbox. And when that came up, friend of mine went went on to work for a manufacturer and so the opportunity opened up and that was my chance at that time to do what I was doing on a larger scale across all of Southern California, multiple counties and work with all these other users, many of who I've gotten to know over time, water managers, and, and take advantage of what I had learned um, both in contracting, which, you know, at that point I had my license. So I was a contractor, I had my backflow, I had all my other things that I had to do to, you know, I wanted to continue to, to learn and, and get my certifications, et cetera. And then um, at that point, uh, really take take it to the next level, which was really where my career is, is now. And it just continued on from that point on and, and is, is as it is today with the more of a high-tech value-added support and services that have expanded out well beyond what that base was at the time when we were just doing irrigation control systems and, and you know, the infancy of central control and, and watching all these systems come and go and, and seeing the evolution to the point where I could probably write a book about, you know, the evolution of central control and what happened, you know, who did what right and who did what wrong that ultimately um, created their path in which their system either succeeded or didn't. So it's kind of it's been fun just waving through that whole process over the years. I kind of have a, a two part question for you because uh, I, I think they'll go together here. But can you tell our listeners about the formation of your company, Green Product Sales, and what the you know what was the niche you were trying to capture, and also tell us what type of services does GPS provide? Well, that again, after uh, the the time in which PTS had evolved into United Green Tech, which was another division, and emerged between uh, Northern California and Southern California, so we expanded the business into into throughout California. Then later on, it was sold. The company was sold. The distribution and the tech division was sold to another corporation, and then ultimately sold to John Deere. And by that point, I'd been with the company 17 years, and Many of us who had all worked together had sort of felt like that was, you know, here was a new ownership and a new, new view of things that it was sort of the opportunity at that point to, to go out on my own. And so immediately uh, opportunity with Barrett Irrigation Booster Pumps, Engineer Booster Pumps, who I'd been working with. That was one of the products that had um, we had added in and started doing booster pumps. And so I was designing booster pump systems on my own and so they asked me to stay on and that was my opportunity to kind of establish my business um and then quickly thereafter uh, uh what was a competitor at the time imperial sprinkler supply and their division uh they were doing central control systems and similar but as we were doing in the past but what was different is that they hadn't uh, they didn't have a mature 
setup at the time. And so they had approached me about booster pumps. And I said, I said to them, why don't we look at controls instead? And they, they kind of turned their head and said, okay, let's do it. And what, what do we have to do to do it? So we started the Imperial Technical Division, which was another uh, line that I added on. So I had my pumps, my um, technical division, which was Imperial Technical Services that we started. And then I also started thereafter a landscape injection company uh, with uh, one of the owners of Barrett and another friend of mine, Kim Goldenstein, who's who's uh, now working with me, but he was at Strongbacks at the time. But he, we all had fertigation experiences. And so we wanted to, I, I kind of forced them into taking this on and saying, you know, we got the technical aspect, we got the ability to build it, we have the ability to get the controls and the equipment we know we need and we know how to build it. So we started that company as well. And so those were the three main primaries. I had other products I was dealing with, but those all fell off when when the, the three main products continued to grow to the point where, you know, they're all quite large now in terms of where we've we've gotten to. So um, I think that's um, that's where I've been for the last, you know, 32 years now, because now I've been with with these three companies that we've started really since uh, 2005. So now we're on 16th, so 33 years of doing this and, and continuing to evolve technologies, which is really the coolest part of this whole thing is, is the constant. And really from day one in 91, 92, going to PTS and then Green Tech and now Imperial Tech, and then also with pumps, there's a, a huge amount of synergy between everybody in developing new concepts that people require you to develop. They flat tell you, we need this for our, our project. Can you come up with that product? And so we, we such tremendous talent with Luis and uh, Morial with Imperial Technical and Craig Barrett. We had this, this incredible synergy to develop new ideas and, and Luis himself has, has gone on to develop a tremendous amount of product lines that we that coexist with manufacturers products that are solutions to what maybe a manufacturer's developed but hasn't taken on um, a, a certain part of that product to continue to add it into the mix to be a better product for an irrigation control systems per se or an injector or solar or all these other things that we we do so that's kind of where it's all evolved to at this point in time well, I think to call that a well-rounded background is a little bit of an understatement. I mean, you've done a, a terrific lot. I know Rob and I, Rob and I know for sure that your background and experience has provided several different types of recognition that you've had over the years, especially through the ASIC. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those? Yeah, ASIC was fun because we jumped into that uh, in in when I first went to Pacific Technical Services and. Um, Sitting in a room with uh, some of the icons of uh, our industry, Bob Cloud and Sam Toby and Dave Pagano and Frank Simon and Mitch Johnson and all these people who who are I'm just this kid and and these guys have all been around doing this and, and are all you know icons in the industry in terms of irrigation design and and sitting there with them and trying to figure out how we're going to make money for the for the uh, association that that wasn't real real solvent we were i think we had a couple hundred dollars in the in the bank and so they kind of looked at me and said you got to do a golf tournament and we got to raise money and i had never done one before and and so i put all the money up to to buy everything at that point and we, we kind of got the ball rolling with asic and 
and started to, to be able to fund the, 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 the local chapter. And then I got more involved in obviously other chapter or national and, and continue to this day to, to, to be part of that. So it's been a fun and just the friendships in our industry, amazing amount of people. I mean, I have, I have a lot of friends from my childhood going back to being five, six, seven years old, but I have a lot more friends in the industry, people that I, I, you know, we've all connected and worked together and had fun together and, you know, taking trips together and fish together and, and work together and, you know, constantly all year long seeing each other and developing the rapports that we, that uh, we all have today. Great. So maybe you can tell us how, what's your perception of how, you know, this COVID pandemic for the last 18 months or so affected the landscape industry? Did it affect you? Did you, how, how do you see that? Um, it, it's, it's kind of a dichotomy of two different, um, sides, I guess. Um, one is, you know, we don't, we, we haven't been able to see our, our clients as nearly as much. And that's, that's been a huge disappointment, um, for me, for sure, because, you know, as I say, uh, you know, my clients are my friends as much as they are, you know, my clients and, and, uh, you know, my job's to serve them any way I can. So it, it's tough when you can't spend the time with them. And we've had a lot of functions that have had to get canceled because of it. But, um, at the same time, you know, once April, 2020 hit, um, you know, we're busy, we busy was not, was, was, was continuing. It, it never stopped being busy. It just got busier, I think, once April hit. And then now that people are working out of their houses, it, it's it's a little different in that sense. Uh, traffic was better for a period of time. Now it's not so good. So I, I definitely not traveled out as much as I as I would like to. So I'm I'm hoping that 2022 we'll see a a return to some normalcy. And but uh, you know I think in the big picture it really hasn't hasn't really affected too much in terms of business because you know building has just been booming. The bigger problem I think is is what we're seeing is a lack of, of product in the in the market right now and just delays and delays and delays. We're seeing, you know, three, four, five, six month delays in products and that's that's hampering um a lot of a lot of the uh, industry right now. And it's, I think it's costing a lot more for, for jobs and projects to get completed simply because of that. So especially with water management projects that I do or, or rainwater stormwater projects that I work on, uh, which is another part that I've seen explode um, in this industry for sure. All right. So I got I got to quit, you know, based on all that background right there, you know, the next obvious question for me is kind of going a little bit up in altitude a bit and asking how you see the landscape, the irrigation and landscape industry right now are going in the right direction. Do you see do you see great things happening? Do you have a, a forward-looking view that you might want to share with us? Well, it feels like we're just sort of status quo in terms of, of where we're at. I think we're, we're our industry tends to be a little bit slower in, in gravitating towards some of the technology simply because there there probably isn't the volume that that we would see, say, on large scale. Uh, businesses and everyday businesses, but I think you know we've been continuing to see. Uh, and, and what I said years ago was when I was kind of laying out a, a graph and said, you know, here's here's what water management is then and very slow, methodical growth. And there wasn't a lot of products out there to to utilize for water management um, in terms of central control, computer control systems. And then, of course, now web based systems, communication has improved. Now we're seeing that speed up at a, at a very rapid pace. And so we're seeing that continue. I think our weakness is that we don't have. The management skills uh, that uh, that you know certainly lacks in in managing water, and that's unfortunate. That has been a problem really from day one. It's never been a a, 
a solved problem, but it's certainly something that uh, hasn't uh, improved a whole lot. I think, I think, uh, especially with the technology, I think we, we we put it in the hands of people who who don't have the time or, or, or knowledge base to manage water efficiently, and it's hard to train them and get them to understand in, in within a, a limited window of time that they can do uh, do what they need to do to be skilled in managing water more efficiently. So we're, you know, we're still at that crossroads there that, I, that seems to be a continuous problem. But, um, you know, things like I say, I do a lot of rainwater, stormwater systems, especially in the in L.A. County and, and some in San Diego and some other markets up in the Bay Area as well. And, um, you know, their goal is to reuse water more efficiently. I think, unfortunately, it's, it's expensive, um, not really efficient in terms of, of the financial side and, and the time associated. And I think a lot of the systems can be a bit more complex for people to use. So I don't know how well that's going to feather out in coming in coming years. But I what I really like to see more of is more reclamation of water. Um, I think what they've done here in Orange County with reclaiming water, sewer water, and converting it into drinking water and then putting it back in the aquifer is, seems to be a uh, probably a more logical solution in markets where there are aquifers that can be replenished. And so we're essentially recycling our water, both in recycled water usage and then replenishment water. When, you, when you're going to you know, take 90% of your water that you're collecting out of a sewer and replenishing it back into the system is, is where I see LA and other markets that need to do these kind of things have to invest into Rather than some other things that maybe are being invested into to help uh, help provide that, because now Orange County, if you see Orange County, it's it's pretty self-sufficient just on that water alone, which is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, and I think we'll see more of that. That'll be our, to me, seems to be our logical use of funds to help uh, replenish or maintain a water supply. Certainly. I don't know how well with this, you know, technology's improved a lot too, obviously with, with that. And that's, that's, that's been great, but it doesn't seem like we're staying on top of it as well in managing that technology. Well, one more question. I mean, this is, this is exciting. We can talk to you for a long time, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we don't keep you going here. But last question is how do you see the future of water in the U S uh, I, I think replenishment and storage, uh, which is difficult, obviously, uh, transportation of water is challenging. Um, I, I think there's water in a lot of water in some parts of the country and not so much in others, of course, in the West. Uh, and I think, uh, obviously, uh, you know, continued to use plant material that is, is lower water using is a huge step. And obviously the investments in, by water agencies in that in that for, for many years, many, many years now we've seen this is probably improved considerably. Um, obviously, you get penalized if you use too much, and I think that's going to change the consumer a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. Hopefully, we continue to get better in water management, but I think we're going to see some uh, some drastic uh, situations if, if we continue to go through what we're going through, and, and we just don't have the storage to do it. But I do think the replenishment idea would be is, is, a, is a better answer to to this, I know it costs you know many many millions, if not into the billions, in in, in areas that do have aquifers to replenish. But uh, I think that's a good step forward that uh, helps helps uh, get us a little bit further along. But I I think we're in a tough we're going to be in a tough place for a long time. We're going to yep. have to change our habits for sure. Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, Daryl, we, Chris and I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us a little bit. How can people get a hold of uh, uh, your, your company, GPS, if they need to get a hold of you and business with you? Uh, yeah, I think email is probably the best way. If, if anybody has questions, uh, I'd be glad to answer them. Um, email is uh, uh, dgreen, D-G-R-E-E-N, GPS, George Paul Sam, 10 at gmail.com. Great. And I guess we're going to see you on Saturday, Saturday night. Yes. At your induction. Right. We appreciate that. We're going to have a great time. I'll get to meet you in person. So thanks a lot. We're, uh, we're going to head off for our commercial break here. And uh, so our listeners just stick around and uh, we'll be back in about, uh, about a minute. And uh, on behalf of Chris and myself, thank you again very much. We appreciate you coming on the water zone. Great. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Congratulations one more time on your induction into the Green Industry Hall of Fame. Great. Thanks. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aw. K-C-A-A. All right, welcome back to the Water Zone Show. Hope everybody's having a good time. We're trying to feature some interesting people who are getting awarded uh, and inducted into new new areas of their of their career, and I think it's really great. We have a next gentleman, uh, just a super person. His name is John Newland. He's the owner of Quality Sprinkling Systems, and they're located in Ohio. Uh, John's been in the irrigation industry for over 25 years, specializing in efficient irrigation systems. He's a trainer for J.R. Huston Bidding uh, and Estimating, and that's the Green Industry Management Consultants. Um, he's the chairman of the Irrigation Association's Contractor Common Interest Group. Um, he's on the Coast Government Affairs Council, and, and that uh, stands for the Council of Smaller Enterprises. Um, guys, guys does a lot of stuff. I mean, he's unbelievable. And uh, on some of his personal things, he's... Uh, been in the business for, uh, actually, he's been married for 17 years, has two children, and his grandson is the apple of his eye. And I have to ask if the grandson says grandpa or papa. I'm just curious because my call me papa. I'm just interested in those things. But anyway, we'd love to bring this guy in, and he has uh, something to do with the Irrigation Association that uh, he's going to be very proud of, and we're proud of him for that. So, John, welcome to the Water Zone. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we're very, we're very blessed and lucky to have you on the show. 
So uh, I, I know things are happening, uh, which we'll talk about in a few minutes with the IA and, and yourself, and, uh, and that's a pretty big announcement. But I always we always start off the show uh, with new people and, and ask them a silly question. So I'll start that off. So could you give us some background information on how and why did you ever decide to get into the landscaping business? Uh, it was by accident. Um, a good friend of mine uh, asked me to help him install an irrigation system. And that happened a number of years ago. And, and I'd known his name is Greg Ott, and he has a small area uh, landscape business here in the Cleveland area. And Greg uh, knows that I'm mechanically inclined and asked me to help. And it started there and it just moved right along. Wow. Because, you know, Chris, Chris, Chris is going to ask you some questions also. You know, he, he's basically irrigating all his life. And I came from a totally different area of technology. And uh, so I always like to ask that question. So, you know, what brought people into that? So, Chris, take it over. Yeah, just uh, just like you, uh, John. I guess the the uh, the similarity here is you and I both started off on the business end of a shovel, right? So, with with that, that's mind, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, a little bit about that. Let our listeners know, um, you know, kind of where you are and what you do. Um. Well, we're we're in the Cleveland area, west side of Cleveland, and uh, our company is primarily irrigation service work, uh, but we also do installation, lawn fertilization, and low voltage lighting. All right. So let me ask you another question, kind of kind of standard question that we've asked a lot of people, like Rob said, but with the last thing up close to two years with the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, um, lots of our listeners always ask, why don't you ask these guys how it affected their business? So I'm going to do that. How did it affect yours? And and if so, what kind of measures did you have to initiate to kind of weather the storm, if you will? Well, of course, like everybody else, at the beginning of this, um, it was it, it was a mess. <laughs> our first quarter was not a good one. and But actually, the year ended up being one of the best years we ever had. So with our clients staying home and looking out their front window and deciding they wanted to do landscape projects, we got invited to the party and and we did very well. Yeah, fairly similar story to what we've heard um, uh, from other folks. As as uh, Rob and I will tell you in our in our day jobs, uh, working for a, you know a manufacturing company in this industry, uh, we we've seen that uptick ourselves. So. Uh, we're, we're certainly pleased to uh, to see that, and we know and we know that it is that is just all trickled up from um, uh, from contractors, distributors, right up to us at the manufacturing level. So, uh, congratulations, Rob. I'm going to turn it over to you. Maybe we can turn into uh, some questions on the uh, on the IA. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh... One of the questions, and actually what we want to know, there's some exciting things happening with you in the irrigation. I kind of put two questions together. One, one was your, what was your main objective when you initially joined the Irrigation Association, and what's the new position you're going to have with the uh, IA? Well, the, the the reason I got into involved with the Irrigation Association was because I had an idea about training service techs. 
Uh, it was more like an outline. And um, I sat down with Scott Knowles with, with Wolf Creek, and Scott pointed me in the direction of the Irrigation Association and specifically Brett Meekham. And that's what got the ball rolling. And, and, and I helped to develop the irrigation or the, the certification for service techs as a result of that. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a fun experience. Good experience. And now you'll be uh, assuming another role with the uh, IA. That's right. I will, after this next, this uh, trade show in December, I will be the uh, president of the Irrigation Association for 22. Excellent. Well, they couldn't have chose, uh, well, I know you were set to do it anyway, but I'm glad they did. You're, you're a gentleman who certainly knows your stuff. And, and uh, you know, talking about Brent Meekham and stuff, I mean, you guys are, are superb professionals who really help the organization you know, uh, exceed their expectations in training people. And uh, I, I can tell you the people that I've known through the courses, uh, I, I, I like that a lot. You know, I, I'm skipping a couple of things here in my questions here, but, you know, I, I find uh, situations where, like in, like in Texas, where all the irrigators are separately licensed. Do you think there's a need to have more of that throughout the country? Instead of somebody just saying, gee, I know how to put pipe together and I know how to do this, or, you know, should I add this to my uh, uh, trip line? I, mean, I, I, I kind of believe people really need to understand how irrigation works. And I know you know that. And as you mentioned, you like to train people and things. But do you think that the, uh, the majority of the states in the, or, or all around the United States should be able to do transition to uh, have all the irrigators specifically licensed to do that? I have gone back and forth on that over the years, and I, I really have mixed feelings. It all depends on, well, it, licensing, I don't think is the answer. I, I think raising the threshold of, of professionalism through certification, um, and, it, and, and it creates an opportunity for the good contractors to stand out. And they can do that on their own. Um, I just my the, the I hear the stories from the people in Texas and New Jersey and the Carolinas of people, you know, shorten the system, <laughs> not quite following the rules. And you're going to have that. And there's right. customers out there that that are okay with working with somebody that is not a professional. They, they're looking for what they feel is is a price that they're after, and they're willing to cut corners, and that's one of the ways. And so I, I just I really struggle with that one, but um, quite frankly, I, I I am not in favor of of uh, licensing. Okay, I, I respect yeah, John, that a lot. I mean, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a tough issue. We get a lot of listeners that call us in uh, uh, call in on the show. And uh, and they say you know these uh, these low bidders that aren't professional they're you know they're bad for our reputation there's no after job service there's no um, warranty no callbacks uh, uh, you know it's a one and done kind uh, one and done kind of a job <clears throat> but there's also a tremendous amount of folks um, uh, out there mow and blow you know uh, outfits if you will that um, that are do do a good job. 
tight it's a tight issue, and I think there's going to be uh, a lot of pushback if this you know at local and state and at the federal government level, uh, because I think they're sure to get involved as we as, as we uh, as our industry evolves a little bit. Um, so as as the new president of the of the uh, IA, um, you know where where do you where does the IA stand really on on uh, on licensing or or just you know doing some sort of criteria for for, for some level uh, well, the IA stance is, is, I believe, that we embrace licensing. Um, when state when state organizations come to us and ask for help with um, getting licensing in their states, we're all about it. Um, again, that I, I shared with you my personal feeling. Um, but the official uh, a line is that we, we are out there promoting uh, states to, if th those folks want to, that they can get licensing. Contract, so, contract level, yeah. yeah. On the contractor I, I, level, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, John, on the fact that you know, it sep separates the, the professionals versus the moment blow guys when they go after the uh, CLIA and, and those kind of uh, Certifications. I think that's really important to have. You know, out here in, in, uh, in Arizona, there's 95 uh, for CLIAs and water management people. And you know, I wish there was a whole lot more in the rest of the country. But you know, we'll see how that goes. But what do you see as, as on the board? Because you've been on the board for a while, anyway. But where do you see the top priorities would be for the IA uh, this year, this coming year? This coming year, well, it's going to be getting our our new CEO up and running. Um, mm -hmm. Deborah Hamlin has announced her retirement some January 1st, so we're in the midst of a, a search for her replacement. Um, another one for this year is big, and, and uh, uh, it's a new mentoring program that actually a Toro uh, employee, Chris Keating, Keaton, is um, put together for us, and that we're going to be offering our contractors our landscape contractors, uh, the opportunity to um, be paired up with somebody, with uh, someone that's uh, like uh, has more experience to help them through different issues they may have with their business. Um, workforce development is one that we're really going to have to work on very hard this next year and, and for many years to come. And we've all experienced what uh, this labor shortage has brought to uh, um, how it's affected our businesses. And so that's another one. And then we've put together an educational task force to come up with a strategic plan. And that's been um, Scott Knowles has, um, is going to head that up for us to put together a really uh, a very uh, precise program that we're going to uh, put together to help support certification um, and get people educated so that they can, uh, in fact, uh, get that certification um, and pass the testing. Well, Chris Keating, for sure, uh, you know, a janitoro here for us and, and uh, has also managed the E3 program through the IA every, uh, the last five or six or probably more years that, that uh, we've been going uh, uh, to the uh, IA show this year in San Diego, of course. So it'll be it'll be great to see everybody there, including uh, you, 
uh, John and, and others. It'll be exciting to have the show back uh, after a couple of years. Are, is, is there anything you want to tell our listeners that, uh, that, uh, that they should be uh, aware of for the upcoming show or maybe give a plug for the show to get, a, to get our listeners to uh, uh, travel or come to San Diego? Absolutely. It's going to be a great show. We're go- we've got uh, all our booths are sold. And we have people in waiting, actually, that would like to have booth space. And so I think it's going to be a great show. Our education is going to be there uh, in full force. Um, I believe that it's going to be a great show, and, and I really encourage folks that uh, um, to come on out and, and enjoy the, the su- Southern California weather and the show as well. And yeah. so do we. We will definitely be there. Uh, Rob and I, we do the show. We, uh, uh, the Water Zone Radio Show here live from uh, from the IA event. So, Rob, why don't, you, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what we'll be doing? Yeah, we're going to be going around. We're going to be meeting up with John again, catching up with him and uh, Deb Hamlin and, and uh, a whole bunch of staff from the IA and going down the, uh, the aisles and, and looking at new products. I know John, uh, I think he was... Uh, if I'm correct, John, you were voting on new products today. I'm not going to ask you who won or anything or what your opinions were. We want to, we'll cover that live. Right there. We'll be uh, broadcasting uh, the, the entire show through our uh, one of our partners' radio stations uh, out of Florida, the Turf Up Radio. So we've made arrangements to do that. But um, just getting back to the, the basic stuff, what do you believe is the biggest challenge for landscape contractors today and, and for the future? Workforce development, that's by far right now. If, if I had, if, if we had the, the hands on deck, we would be able to put a lot more product in the ground. And it's, that's been the big struggle. Uh, and that, that's been an ongoing struggle that we've, everybody in the industry is, has uh, been dealing with over the years. And I don't see it letting up done nothing but get worse and so we need to put more effort in the, into that area uh, like you were saying about the uh, Chris Keaton and and, and uh, the med- the programs that he's worked with um, with the uh, college kids I mean it's been a great program and I really encourage people to be involved in that yeah uh, and then you know Toro uh, for work uh, Chris and I work. Uh, we're big sponsors of that, and uh, big promoters of that. We want to see that continue to expand. I'm going to say I'm going to ask you another question because it's kind of it's kind of you know linked to what we were talking about. But what do you see? Let me ask you this question from a technological standpoint. With all the new uh, products that are coming out, the advancements in irrigation equipment, especially in the last five or ten years or so, uh, the smart a revolution in 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 controllers and all that kind of stuff. How do you how do you see that? What products do you believe, uh, John, that uh, that will be most significant in the future? Oh, we've really embraced the uh, Wi-Fi controllers, and we've marriaged our our controllers with uh, our customer service software to manage that because I. I, I I believe I heard somebody on your program say uh, the um, the fact that we need to learn how to manage the technology, and I, I mean, that's huge because it, it you just get you get bombarded, you get swamped by the tech uh, data, and you have to make sense of it and react to it. 
And uh, I think that's going to be the secret to um, to utilizing the, these new technologies is really managing, learning to manage it. I think that's that's what's going to separate the the low moment blows to the, up to the professional people like you yourselves and your company, and, and that needs to happen. I mean, Chris and I do a lot of uh, uh, you know, external education and outreach to the public through different water agencies throughout the country, and it you know when people attend and they come and they listen and they learn, it really makes a difference down the road of how they can use water more efficiently. So we we think that's good. But I, since you've been in the business for a while, I, I was going to ask you a, a silly question, but do you have any crazy landscape situations that uh, your customers uh, called you about and how you were involved and what what you saw was kind of silly or ridiculous? Uh, you know, <laughs> none that stand out. I'll just, I'll leave it like that. I, you know, like everybody, I have, I've run into some uh, interesting situations, but no, none that stand out. Yeah. I've seen some where they put the valves backwards and kinds of crazy things. And, oh, you know, yeah. And, and, and how, to, how to hook the controller up and, 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 and you know, where, where, what's a common and what's this. So we, we see a lot of that. And I also see a lot of a lot of bad contractors when they go out and they're reading prints and, like, for home builders, and they're supposed to have uh, eight-foot uh, uh, spacing in, or ten-foot spacing, and, and uh, they come in and put 12 and 15 in, so they – they put less product in to charge them the same amount of money, but uh, not everybody does that. But there's a lot, there's a lot of crazy things that I see. Or people, people don't understand how to, how to put pipe together, pipe together, and use the the uh, the, the PBC cement correctly. And you know, I, I I think there's silly things like you said, but there's also crazy things that we've seen. But one of the one of the probably most important questions I'd like to always ask is, where do you, as a contractor and a professional, where do you see the future of water going in the United States? Well, you know, with 3% of, of the water in this world being fresh water, we've got, you know, a finite resources resource that we have to use um, sparingly. We're using it faster than it's being replenished, and our industry needs to embrace and behave in a responsible manner and promoting efficient irrigation. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's going to be very, very important. You know, um, there's so many ways to, to help save water. I just hope we get more educated. I know there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be prepared. Chris, what's, what's your opinion on, on infrastructure and how we're going to make that happen and, and do? Well, I mean, you know, uh, as a as a context as context for this question, over the years we've had uh, several guests on the show that have talked about that. And as you said before, Rob, this is uh, and and John just said this is a limited resource, right? There's no pipeline coming in from um, out of space, you know, delivering more water to the planet. So the water we got is the water we've got. Uh, I just think that some of the uh, uh, new technologies are going to help. I think the uh, improvements that we could make to uh, water infrastructure across, across the country uh, is, is something that you know that will help us a great deal and of course there's a whole political question and and voting and all sorts of stuff going on with the uh, with the uh, uh, 
uh, current House and Senate and the leadership of our country looking at an infrastructure bill. So all that's kind of exciting stuff, right? And it, it kind of bodes well for our industry, I think, as we move forward, especially here in the state of California, where our water infrastructure is, uh, you know, wo woefully uh, underserving uh, the, the state's needs. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a tough question. I think it's a sort of a, a statement that, uh, that that our country is really on uh, the cusp of, uh, of, of turning, of really turning some uh, earth over and and making some improvements in water infrastructure across the country. Do you agree, Rob? Yeah, I see that, and I also see contaminated water and the lit pipes and all that needs to be changed. And, you know, I, I just hope somebody in the government decides to put a, a list together and prioritize that and really go through it and put action to it, pick, it off, pick, pick, pick each one off, bring the next one up to the level so everybody can see that something's happening. But it's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not an overnight not an overnight deal. So, uh, anyway. And let's so, not forget desalination. <laughs> no, no. So, John, how do people, because I know you're in the Cleveland area, how do people get a hold of you to hire you in your services? Because you do quite a bit of different things. They can call the office. They can go to our website. Uh, website's probably the most popular. Um, the office seems to always be swamped with phone calls. But, uh, yeah, the, going to the website would be the best. And can you give that to us, our listeners? Yes. It, it's under qualitysprinklingsystems.com. Great. Well, John, it's great talking to you. I, I, I met you briefly a couple of years back, and I'm going to be uh, wishing and hoping I will get to see you at the IA show this year. Uh, congratulations on uh, being the, the new president of, the, of that, and uh, we look forward to having a good relationships uh, in the future. And uh, I'm, I'm there to support the IA as Chris is. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time out. I know you're three hours different than we are. Uh, so we sincerely appreciate it. I will buy you a lunch or something for doing that. So uh, uh, thank, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thanks, John. Good evening. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.